thank you for listening to Simple Church, where we love God, love others, and serve our world. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our student pastor, Brandon Pruitt. Good morning, my Simple Church family. It is so good to be with you this morning. Like Tom already mentioned, we are continuing our series, GOAT, uh, this morning, the greatest of all time. And uh, I'm the youth pastor here. My name is Brandon, and I get the privilege of continuing that this morning. And it's just so good to connect with you because we are here to connect with each other and connect with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And uh, I just want to mention real quick, I'm just so excited that, that we get the opportunity to do that. I got to see my friend Joe again this morning and meet a new friend, Josiah. Um, and that's what it's all about. It's about connecting with one another in Christ-like community so we can have an opportunity to connect with Christ. And so we're going to talk about that Jesus this morning as we continue this series. And I get, oh man, I get the privilege of talking to you about how he was the greatest teacher of all time. The greatest teacher of all time. And I've been studying this week and I can't wait to share with you what he has been sharing with me. But before we get into the greatest teacher of all time, I thought I would reverse it, flip back a little bit and let you know about the worst teacher I have had of all time. I mean, all of us, who in here has like been in high and been in school? If you're not raising your hand, I'm embarrassed for you. Anyway, uh, but if you've been in school, who in here had a teacher they were not too fond of? Like someone they're just like, mm, I don't know if this is the right place you're supposed to be, and really you're not that good at it. I don't like you too much. Well, I had a teacher in high school. Uh, his name was Mr. Weiss. It was my junior year of high school, and I had decided to take a class with this man who is considered at the time to be the most feared teacher in all of Johnson High School. And I did that because it, I wanted to take photo art too, and he was the only one who taught it, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. And so I stepped into his class on the first day. I remember stepping in, and I, I looked at this man, and he, he, I just remember seeing him, his curly hair, his frail figure, and his weird fashion statement of just black and white. He had this white shirt on and black pants, and that's all he ever wore, and I was like man, this guy, he, he can't be that bad. And, and so we got into class, and I wasn't that worried about it. And then, and then came the day that I had to turn in my first big assignment. And, uh, and I'd worked really hard on this photo that I'd been working on. You know, there was a dark room that we worked in, and I'd spent a lot of time on it, and I put a lot of work into it. And I was on my way to class. I was so excited, and then I was like... <gasps> I left it in my locker. And so I ran back, and I knew in my head I was going to be a couple minutes late, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? And so I got into class, and I, I purposely, there was two doors to the classroom, and I purposely went through the door that was right next to where you hand everything in so that I could get it in right away, and maybe you wouldn't notice me. And so I got in, and I handed it in. Mr. Weiss didn't seem to notice, didn't seem to care. And I was like, Phew. okay, we're good. And then a couple days later, I got my assignment back. and had a big, fat zero on it. And in that moment, I remembered what Mr. Weiss said. He said, everything is due at the bell. And I was like, really? Really, bro? Like, I was a couple seconds late. You're going to dock me and put me at a zero on all my hard work because I came in a couple minutes late? Oh, man, you, uh, I'm going to hate this teacher. And I knew from that moment on I was not going to like him. But something interesting happened. I stuck it out. And I begin. I began to get to know Mr. Weiss and his teaching, and I found out that he valued his students. He valued students so much that he went out of the way to give students nicknames so that he, they would be recognized as unique and important to him. Mine was Barn Door. I don't know how I got that, but every time I came in, he would say, hey, Barn Door, and I knew 
that I was important to him. There was also things that he did. He taught in creative ways. I remember one moment I was in class and working on my assignment, and there was this one student who asked, like, hey, Mr. Weiss, what's this deal with, like, the shutter and, and the light coming in? And everybody's working in class. He didn't give any warning. He just shut off all the lights. And I was like, what is going on? And then he goes to the door, and he opens up the door to the hallway and makes it bigger and smaller to explain to this student that that's like the shutter inside your camera. And when it lets a certain amount of light on, it exposes the film different. And you saw, even in that dark room, you could see the student's face illuminate with understanding. He taught creatively. He also, he had this great sense of humor. I remember one day I laughed so hard. There, if you've ever worked in a dark room, there's these doors that like rotate, and you have to go into them, and you have to rotate them in. That way no light goes into the dark room and ruins everybody's film, and they'd all be mad about that, so they have this rotating door. And anyway, so he goes in, and he's in the rotating door, and we're just thinking he's going, and all of a sudden it starts to spin, right? Like this door just starts to spin and spin and spin, and every time the, the opening comes by Mr. Weiss, he does some pose. At first he was like, you know, the, the famous bow, and then he was like pulling his hair, and then he was like, hey, and it was like every time it came by, it was like that moment moment where you do the face thing where you're like, you know, and every, but it was like on a big scale and I'd never laughed so hard in my life. And this thing, his sense of humor made it so interesting, made me look forward to going to his class because I never knew what to expect. But his devotion to his work is something else I discovered. I learned after working with him that he only wore black and white because he wanted students focused more on his teaching than his fashion. And then finally, this high standards that he held. That moment that I walked into class and I got a zero was a standard that he held for his students because he wanted what he said about their work to be valuable. And so I knew every critique and everything he said about my work was meaningful because he held everything I did to such a high standard. And so in turn, this teacher that I thought was going to be the worst teacher of all time became my greatest teacher of my entire high school career. And I start there because many of us, many of us, including myself, we tend to approach Jesus in this same way. Whether you realize it or not, I would imagine many of you have some preconceived notions about who Jesus is. Whether you've grown up in the church, whether you've just come to church for the first time, or whether you've, you have these preconceived notions. Like, for example, you know, some of them for me or some from, for you may be, man, Jesus, you read about him, and he, I think he was a really good guy. He was just a really nice guy. Or maybe it was just, oh, he, he, was, a, he was a great he was just a good teacher. Or maybe for some of you, you think, oh, well, he's irrelevant. The things he taught were during a time that doesn't, that's not really relevant to what I deal with now. I mean, he was good then, but he's not good now. Maybe some of you think he's harsh. Maybe some of you have had a church experience that if that's what Jesus is like, I want nothing to do with him. Or maybe you think he's a con artist or fake or scam, whatever it may be, is what I'd like you to consider is, are you allowing your preconceived notions to decide beforehand what kind of teacher he is to you? Just like I did with Mr. Weiss. And so this morning, I want to prove to you, my hope is that I'll be able to prove to you that Jesus was in fact, is in fact, the greatest teacher of all time. And that if you would give him your time, if you would really give him your time like I stuck it out with Mr. Weiss, you would begin to find that he is your greatest teacher as well. And so to do that, I could start by telling you how there are over a quarter, 
since 2010 or as of 2010, there's over 2.3 billion people following his teaching today. Projected to be 2.9 billion by 2050, according to the Pew Research Center. Or how the book containing his teaching is labeled the best-selling book of all time, according to Guinness Book of World Records. In fact, it's sold over 20, it's over 20 million are sold in the U.S. each year, and over 6 billion have been sold worldwide in its existence. In fact, it also is taken off the book bestsellers list because it would win every year. It would beat out Harry Potter and Hunger Games, and you know, all that. It would win every single year so they don't even include it. That's the book that contains his teaching. But you know what? I don't want to start there. I don't want to tell you the facts on why I believe he's the greatest teacher. Instead, this morning, as I was thinking through this week of how we're going to do this thing, um, God led me to something really interesting that I want to try this morning. Is instead, I want you to prove it to yourself. And what I mean by that is many of you have things that you've learned or, or figured out what you believe makes a great teacher. And so I want to give us the chance to talk about those. And then what I would like to do is take those qualities, those characteristics that we talk about and simply share with you from the four accounts that we have on Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these things that were written down by the people who did life with him and talk about the stories where Jesus embodied each of those characters. And I guarantee you, before we even get started, he's going to embody every characteristic or quality that you can think of. And so I don't know where this morning's going to go, <laughs> but I'm excited about it. So let's pray, and then let's begin to discover why Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. God, I come to you this morning just to thank you for the opportunity to be up here. Oh, man, Father, you are so good, and I'm so grateful for the privilege to just be able to share your truth I'm nothing but a, uh, just to be used by you, God, and I pray you would use me this morning. Speak through me, speak to us, and help us learn about this, your son, Jesus, and what he has for us in his teaching and what that means for us today. Guide our time together, bless it, and we thank you for it in your name. Amen. All right, so this is where I hand it over to you. What would you guys say, and feel free to yell at me. And if it gets crazy in here, it'll be all good because it's, you know, it's a good morning. We're feeling great. It's nice outside. Tom said you're all nice this morning, so I'm feeling good about this. All right. So yell at me. What is something you would say, a quality or characteristic that makes a great teacher? Humility. 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 Oh, man, that's a good one. Well, let me see. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Sam. But we're talking about the great teachers, not me this morning. Okay. Like, uh, you know, we got, but I thank you for that. So we're going to talk about humility. And actually, Jesus was a pretty humble guy. He was a pretty humble person. But there's a, there's a story in John 13, 1 through 17 that really exemplifies his humility. But before we even get into that, maybe some of you, when you think about the word humility and you think about Jesus, you think of like the obvious answer of where Paul talks about in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, where he says, Christ humbled himself and was born of human form and died a criminal's death on the cross. Like that is humility in of itself. He gave up his divine privileges and Paul recognizes that, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. He also talks about in Luke 23, 34, Luke tells us, or Jesus, and rather in his words, this is the craziest thing to me. He's up on the cross dying this criminal's death that, we, that Paul talks about and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What a humble position. 
But I think one of the most humble places that we see Jesus enacting his humility and exemplifying it and being an example for his disciples was in John 13, 1 through 17. And some of you may know this story. Many of you have grown up in the church. You've probably heard this. This is the point in Jesus' life right before he's about to go onto the cross. And he's at this Passover meal with his disciples. And so imagine if, with me, if you will, he's about to walk in. They're about to, there's all this food, you know. We don't, I guess I don't know how much there was. But, like, he's at, you know, everybody's starting to sit down. And in verse 3, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, what would be most of our response to that? Man, I've been given authority. I'm about to go back to his kingdom. Like, oh, you better bow down to me. But what does Jesus do in the verse right after? It says, so because of that, because he knew that, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. What? And this, I don't think we fully grasped. Like, doing that was like the lowest position a servant had. It was like taking care of the master's feet. And so you see Peter in this moment going, whoa, 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 you're not going to wash my feet because he realizes you, I see you as Lord and Savior. I see you as my king. You're not going to do that. But then Jesus tells Peter why that's, and you go through the whole Peter debacle. He goes, well, anyway, I'm not going to go. But he, he says, no, I'm going to wash your feet because this is an example to you. And then in verse 16, he says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus was humble. Jesus practiced humility. And this is but one of the stories that we get to see that embodied in his character and what he did. What's another one? What's another character or ability? We're going to go as long as we can. I'm not going to get through. Huh? Patience. Oh, man, Jesus had patience. You try working with the 12 disciples that Jesus worked with. Man, he had to have some patience. And so there's one story that I think of that, that always comes to my mind when I think about this because there were so many moments, especially dealing with this dude named Peter. Like Peter was a lot like me. He just said like whatever was on his mind and was kind of goofy. And so like Jesus, I can't imagine, was like, oh my gosh, Peter. But there were so many moments that he had to practice patience with the people he was teaching. And there's this one moment where he's riding in the boat, in this boat with his disciples after they've gotten done with, he's gotten done teaching. And it's Matthew 16, 5 through 12. And he's riding in this boat, and he gives them some really unique advice. He gives them some, uh, something very important that he wants them to understand. And he says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now the Pharisees and the Sadducees were these religious leaders that were teaching things to the people. But as you begin to follow Jesus and his story and his life and his ministry, you begin to see that they were very hypocritical and more in it for themselves than for the people. And so he's saying, beware the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And right before that, or right in that, he's saying, beware the yeast, right? And so the disciples totally miss it, okay? In verse 7, it says, at this, they begin to argue with one another, with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They were all worried about bread in this moment. And Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, oh my gosh, I can just imagine Jesus like, oh my gosh, here we go again. You have so little faith. What are you arguing with each other about having no bread? 
And this is after he's performed the miracles of feeding 5,000 and feeding 4,000 with bread and fish, with very little. So it's like, dudes, I don't need bread. I can make it come out of thin air. Like, you don't get, and he says, don't you understand? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed or the 4,000 I fed? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? And in this moment, I would have met, like, to me, I'd be so frustrated. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you guys are so dumb. Let me just spell it out for you. But instead, Jesus patiently gives them the opportunity to understand. And he asked the question again. He says, so again, I say, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then he stops. He doesn't say anything beyond that. He lets them process. He, lets, he gives them another chance. And it says, then, at last, they understood that he wasn't speaking about yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus had patience in so many other ways. And this is one of those stories that I look at and I reflect on some of the teachers that I had that just were like, don't you get it? Let me just give you the answer. And Jesus said, explained patiently, guys, it's not about the bread. Asked it again and patiently allowed them to understand it. Jesus had patience. What's another one? Wise. Wise. I'm going to chalk that up to... Um, knowing what he's talking about, is familiar with his content, right? And this is a really interesting one to me because we don't know much about Jesus' past before his 30 years of ministry, but there's a portion in Luke 2, 41 through 52 where we get a glimpse at him when he was a young boy. And I believe this sets us up to fully understand how familiar he was or how wise he was about the things he was talking about. Okay, so in this story, it's, it's during um, the, another Passover, a different Passover festival when he's younger, and his parents and him have all gone to Jerusalem. There's been a crowd that went to Jerusalem. This was something that the, Jewish, that the Jews did back then, that during Passover festival, they went to Jerusalem and celebrated. And so he's there, and after they leave, they leave without Jesus, great parents, right? Like, you know, they just leave. Like, and, and it's three days before they realize that Jesus is not with them. And the parents, they freak out and they go back to Jerusalem or looking all over for him. And then they finally find him in the temple. And here's what we're told about that situation. It says in verse six, in verse six or sorry, verse 46, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. This young boy sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. And then it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. As a young boy, he was already learning and taking in what he could. And, and you might be like, okay, well, he was God, but he also was fully human. And if you know of anybody who's wise, they've invested in the, that that practice that expertise to gain wisdom in that. And Jesus as a young boy is already doing that. And so they heard him. And then his mom asked, well, you want to know where were you? And he says, the, I can't imagine, you know, this response back. He's like, why did you do this? His mom's like, why did you do this to us? Why did you leave? He's like, what are you talking about? Didn't you know I was in my father's house? And it says they didn't understand, but she held it in her heart. And at the end of this, this portion of scripture in verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. And so leading all the way up to his ministry, I can, I can only imagine that this type of lifestyle continued. And so I would argue Jesus was very wise and very familiar with the content that he was talking about.
We have time for a couple more. What else? Dedication. Dedication. Can I I say prepared? Does that kind of like exemplify that a little bit? Okay, so Jesus was prepared. Not to mention, not only did he spend 30 years, what we just talked about, right? Like, I can imagine that continued all throughout his life, continuing to ask, continuing to learn, continuing to gain wisdom, and that would prepare you. But there's one portion as he begins his ministry, this always, this always gets me, is in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you, if you read this, you'll notice at the top of your page, it says the temptation of Jesus in most of our translations, especially, or I at least know in the NLT. And so he's about to start his ministry, Right, And many of us, when we want to start something, we just like want to get it going and we jump right into it. Right? But Jesus, before he started his ministry, he prays about it, and then before, or he's just been baptized. He comes to John the Baptist, and you see this whole scene where it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and God the Father from heaven said, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. And in this moment, you're like, okay, great, he's going to go off and start his ministry. But what does he do? He goes off in the desert. And he spends 40 days in the desert being tempted. And I would not only say that takes dedication, but prepared him. Why? Because as you read through the Hebrew scriptures, you see all these men who had stepped into their calling that were tempted and fell from it. And so Jesus, before he goes into his ministry, he has to prepare himself for that and know that, yes, I can overcome. I am prepared to take on what is about to come. And so he spends 40 days in the desert being tempted by the Satan, by the devil. And there's these things that come up where it comes, you know, Satan comes to him and he tempts him and he says, you know, like, turn these stones into bread because the scriptures say you can do that. And Jesus says, No, the scriptures say people do not live by the bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. So then the devil, he's like, all right, all right, I got you, I got you. And he comes back up and he's, he's he's like, but the scriptures also say, he says, but the scriptures say you can jump. Like, jump off this mountain because the scriptures say he will do, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. And so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And the devil, Satan himself, is quoting Psalm 91. He's using scripture to try to get Jesus to do something that isn't of God. How many times have you experienced that in your life? Where someone misquoted scripture or used the context in their own way to get their own agenda. And so Jesus is in this moment. He he responds back. He says, yeah, but the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And then Satan shows him all the, all the kingdoms of the earth and says, bow down and worship me and you can have this. And, and Jesus says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's Deuteronomy 6.13. And then he says, get out of here. And the devil went away. And so Jesus had the dedication enough to prepare himself instead of just jumping into the ministry that was set before him, but know that he was prepared to take on the temptation and the struggles and the things that would come along with it. So I would say Jesus was dedicated and Jesus was prepared. Maybe like two more, depending on how long I go into these stories because I get excited. But what else? Kindness. 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 Huh? Yeah, kind. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go to, because I... I the, I bunch that in kind of like with compassion and care, right? And I love, I love this idea because there's a story, again, that most of us are pretty familiar with. Who's heard the story of like the feeding of the 5,000, 
or the feeding of the 4,000, like maybe like half of us, but there's something that is right at the beginning of that that we usually skip over. And so in that, that's Mark 6, 30 through 44. And at the beginning of that, before he feeds everyone with the 5,000, it says that he was on his ministry tour and he told his disciples or his apostles, he told them all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus says, now let's go off, this is verse 31, says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. So he's about to leave and go rest because they're exhausted. They've been, they've been on this ministry tour, we're told. They've been working hard. They've been teaching. They've been performing miracles. They've, they're ready to be done and rest. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They're not only exhausted, but they haven't eaten, so they're probably pretty hungry. Anybody ever been hangry before? You need to get, you know, like, so they're hungry. I can imagine the disciples getting a little bit hangry. But then the verse, down a little bit of ways from that, we learn, like, okay, they're about to go off. They're going to rest. But in verse 34, right before he feeds the 5,000, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. They just got to shore. And he steps from the boat, and he sees the huge crowd. And it says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus put the crowd and those who were seeking need from him before himself. It says he saw compat, he had compassion, he saw their need, he saw that they were lost, and he's like, you know what? I can wait a little bit longer. They need me right now. And then we get this huge miracle about that he fed the 5,000 in that moment. And there's so many other moments like that as you read through the story of Jesus where it says he had compassion on the people. So yes, I would say Jesus was kind, he was compassionate, and he cared for the people he taught. Okay, let's see how many more we can get in. Adaptability, I was hoping somebody would say this one. This is one of my favorite. Jesus was adaptable. And here's why he needed to be adaptable. Because remember those Pharisees and those religious leaders we were talking about? They tried to trap Jesus all the time. They wanted him, to, they didn't like Jesus because they they, he was challenging their status quo and the way that they taught religion and the way that they did religion. And so he was constantly like challenging that. And so he, they, they were always trying to trap him. And so he had to constantly change in the moment to respond to their traps. And I love this one. This is one of my favorites. It's in John 8, 1 through 11. The story of the woman caught in adultery is what it's titled. And so in verse 3, it says, as he was speaking, this is Jesus, he's in the midst of this crowd, says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Which, can we just say for a moment, like, where's the guy? Because it takes two to tango, you all. Like, why did they only bring, you know, the woman out in front of him and was like, hey, she's caught in adultery, and the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone her. What would you say? But that's a whole different thing. But here's the thing that, that's so crazy about this, okay? So they're trying to trap Jesus. They're like, what did you say? Because the, the law of Moses says we have to stone her. And they're like, ah, oh, we got him. We got him. He's going to, we're going to, yeah. And, and he just stops. And he bends down. He begins riding in the sand. And I can imagine the looks on their faces of like, What's he writing? Like, what are you doing? Uh, he doesn't know what to do. He's trying to stall. And then he's writing, and he stands up. And they kept demanding an answer. 
because he's ignoring them, writing. We're never told what he wrote. There's probably a reason for that, but we were never told what he wrote. It says, so he stood up again. He looks at them, and he says, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's all he says. And then he comes back down. He starts writing. And it says all the Pharisees and all the accusers, the ones who are standing there, one by one, dropped their stones and left. Like that is adaptability. And then he stands back up and he goes to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What? Like that is crazy. Like that wasn't planned. That was not, that was a moment where Jesus had to adapt to the situation, not only to deflect the accusation and the traps of the, of the Pharisees and the religious, lead, or the religious leaders, the Sadducees, Pharisees, but also in that moment to give this woman who was wrongfully put in a position and trapped herself to give her freedom and hope. Jesus knew how to adapt. And I wish that I could keep going on and on with you guys. There's so many more. There's so many characteristics that I know you guys have in mind that I guarantee you that if you begin to read about Jesus as it's presented in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you will find him matching every single one of those characteristics and qualities. But why does that matter? (laughs) Why does that really matter? Not only was the Jesus the greatest teacher of all time because of these things, but it matters because I would argue that every one of you in here has come across someone who you found to be a great teacher, and you gravitated towards them. Why? Because deep down, all of us want to know we are living the greatest life possible. And when we come across somebody who's greater at least seems, or at least has something that we see as like, man, that looks like something so much greater. We're drawn to it. We want to know more. We want to absorb in. And this is why when I discovered the great teaching that Mr. Weiss had to offer, I wanted more. I went back to his classroom outside of class. I went and talked with him. I went and spent time with him. There was times I even went over to his house and spent time with him and learned about the things that were important to him and the things that he had learned because I wanted to absorb all I could because I saw something in a man that I did not have that I wanted. And I would argue that's probably the same thing for most of you in here, whether it's a video on YouTube, whether it's a a, a mentor in your life, whether it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, whatever that teacher may be, you gravitate towards that because we all want to know we are living the greatest life possible. However, the unfortunate thing is anyone that we put our trust into in this world at some point, that's going to fade. The unfortunate thing is at some point they're going to die. And unfortunately, Mr. Weiss, my great teacher from high school, a couple years ago died. He passed away. I remember going to his funeral, seeing everyone in, his, in the funeral that was impacted by him. And, and so many people came up and said great things. And, but the reality is, is some of his teaching will carry on, but really his teaching died with him. Because in a couple years, no one will remember it. But then to flip on the other side, the fortunate thing is for us, for you and I, is we have a teacher that not only embodies all these characteristics and qualities that we can think of, but he also conquered death. 
And you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. If a person comes on and predicts their own death and resurrection and then pulls it off, we should probably be listening to that person. Because not only does he have teaching for this life, but he has teaching for what's beyond. He's conquered it. He's overcome it. He knows about it. So fortunately for you and me, there is a teacher that is greater than Mr. Weiss, that is greater than whoever you have in mind, that's greater than the likes of Aristotle, the likes of Gandhi, the likes of Einstein, Confucius, Mother Teresa, C.S. Lewis, J.K. Rowling, any pastor, preacher, or whoever, like I lo- Stephen Furtick is someone I listen to. Maybe you go to Piper or Chan or Chandler, but he is greater than all of them. Because he not only takes on those qualities, but he conquered death. And here's what I would like you to consider. I would not only encourage you that if you've not been convinced already, that you should begin listening to his teaching as it's presented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what his disciples and those who followed him then leave for us and the rest of the letters through the New Testament. But not only listen to those teachings that tell us about life, relationships, money, and and even more. But also maybe listen to when he says things like this. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. This came from Jesus. This is Jesus said this. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Or this one, John 8, 51. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And finally, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, he was talking to one of his, uh, he was responding to a question, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so here's, here's just what I would like you to consider as we end our time together and we go into talking more about this. If everything else Jesus has said, we talk about the characteristics, the qualities, all of that. If everything else he has said is authentic, honest, reliable, true, can you put that that last one back up there? Then isn't this probably too? If everything else that he teaches, and I guarantee you, if you begin to live, whether you believe in Jesus and who he said it or not, if you just begin to live by his teaching, I guarantee you your life will be blessed. Not by, this is a whole other sermon for another time, but not by the Ten Commandments or all the laws that are in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but by what Jesus taught. If you begin to live by what Jesus taught, I guarantee you your life will be blessed. And if all of that stands true, Doesn't this probably as well? And so the final question I have for you as you think about that is the question you have to ask yourself because I, and I'll stand up here and tell you, I have found my greatest teacher of all time. That is the person, my king, my savior, Jesus Christ. The question you have to ask yourself is who is your teacher? Like really? Even for those of us in the room who say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Is he is teaching what you're living by? And, if, and for those of you who aren't sure of that, that's okay too. Whose teaching are you following? 
Whose teaching is influencing your life? Whose teaching are you living by? And is he or she greater? Because I would argue, and you can come up to me afterwards and I'll talk to you about it, our, but I would argue that whoever you can come up with has nothing on my teacher. Well, you won't have anything that'll prove to me that he is greater, he or she is greater than Jesus, my King, my Lord, my Savior, and my greatest teacher of all time. Let's pray and let's talk about it. Oh, God, thank you so much that you cared enough to send your son, that you loved us enough to send your son fully human, fully God, to be an example for us, to give us the greatest teaching of all time so that we can know how to live this life as great as possible on this earth and then beyond into eternity. And God, I just pray that this morning, that through any inadequacies that I have or, or any flaws, but that your truth for those who needed to hear it this morning, for the one who needed to be encouraged in your teaching and in, in, in a life that they can live that is so much greater than anything we can imagine, that they would be encouraged in that this morning. If that's questions, if that's just beginning to read those first four, I don't know what that is, God, but I pray that your word reigns true this morning in the hearts and minds of everyone who's here. And I thank you for the privilege of getting to share it. And we thank you for the teaching that you offer us through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're new or want to know more about our church family, please visit us online at simple.church or by downloading our Simple.Church app.